This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. Our text today is verses 21 through 26. It's been a couple weeks since we were in 17 through 20, so we're going to begin reading there just for context. This is God's Word. What a joy this morning we have to sit and, and listen to the Word of God, especially the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, read along with me please. Beginning in verse 17, if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you raise your hands, our ushers will give you a copy. You're free to keep that take it home with you. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And now our text today, verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid 
the last penny. Don't miss the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't miss the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. Obeying the message, the Sermon on the Mount, must not be thought of in terms of our actions only, our behavior. Thoughts, motives, desires are essential. They're important to the Lord. Again, our friend Martin Lloyd-Jones attempted just to read his chapters from his book. He says this, The scribes and Pharisees were concerned only about the act of adultery or the act of murder. But our Lord was at pains to emphasize to them that it is the desire in man's heart and mind to do these things that is really and ultimately reprehensible in the sight of God. How often he said in this connection that it is out of the heart that evil thoughts and actions come. It is the heart of man that matters. So we must not think of this law of God and of pleasing God merely in terms of what we do or do not do. It's the inward condition and attitude that God is always observing. God looks at the heart. But don't miss the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. Get beyond the letter of the law. In Luke 16, Luke writes, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. But what is exalted among men is an abomination, reprehensible in the sight of God. The scribes and Pharisees were not poor in spirit. They had not entered the kingdom of heaven. They didn't mourn over their sin. They didn't think they needed Jesus' help. They made excuses. They blamed others. And sadly, the end result for them and their followers was not life and peace. They were self-righteous. They justified themselves. They were alienated from God and one another, and they were bitter. They persecuted Jesus eventually because of their, apparently, because of their love of money and other things. They killed Him. All at the same time, they justified themselves. They were considered experts in the law 
but they missed the spirit of the law. Our current house we purchased a couple years ago, and it came with one of those uh, fake waterfalls, you know, with a little pond and, you know, a little pump in it somehow, and, you know, makes this fake little fall and little geyser thing. I didn't like it at all when we moved in, but I've grown to really like it because there are frogs out there and they make frog sounds and and uh, had a friend put fish in there and the grandkids love it. They love throwing my landscaping rocks into the pond and they love the fish. They love all the wildlife there. Birds love it. I learned over time though that you have to maintain these ponds and or else you have to pay someone to do it, and that is not an option. So when it developed a leak, I spent a whole day cleaning the pond with my wife Sherry's help and, and taking out all the rocks the kids had thrown into the pond that had made it dirty in the first place. And I fixed the hole thanks to my friend Jonathan who found the hole for me. And this meant new laws for the grandkids. It's, it's a hard transition to go from, hey, feels good, do it, to we got some laws now. The law of grandfather now. There's been a change. You're going to have to be more careful. And above all, no throwing rocks in the pond. No sooner had I said this than I observed a kid through my window with a giant rock throwing it in the pond. And I verbally corrected the child. And that he looked at me with this face that spoke very clearly. First, I'm going to throw rocks in that pond anytime I want to throw rocks in that pond. Second, I'm seriously considering murder. Are you not aware the earth is mine? That's what this kid thought. When, when training children, we can't just correct their behavior, can we? Ted Tripp has taught us so well. He's not coming back. He's retired. Sad to say, but his books are in the bookstore, shepherding a child's heart. And he has taught us well. We have to go beyond Throwing rocks, we've got to see. No, he's contemplating murder right now. It is really the heart that matters. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount and the law of God, the law of Moses, is not just oppressive rules. Its purpose is to shepherd our hearts. That's why we're here. Jesus wants us to go deeper than the Pharisees. He wants changed lives for the glory of God. That's what He's in the business of doing. And that's what this sermon is all about. So let's, let's look at verses 21 through 26 today. Jesus is describing, remember, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, we looked at those. He gave us this description of the essential nature. This is 
what those in the kingdom already, this is their essential nature. He, he teaches His disciples on this mountain, as they sat before Him, their function and their purpose in life in their world that they're living in. And it, it brought up the subject of the relationship between His followers and the law of God. They were Jews. They'd been taught the law of Moses. And they're evaluating Him and His teaching according to the law. So in this sermon, He, he explains to them His relationship to the law. And that's what we read in verses 17 through 20, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. In our text, he's continuing to explain this relationship. He, he gives his own teaching in contrast to what they've been hearing from the scribes and the Pharisees, which is false teaching about the law. He's explaining in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, what he meant when he said, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, their righteousness has to go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Three points today. Number one, the spirit of the law. This is Jesus' emphasis, the spirit of, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He is showing them a true understanding of the law of Moses. He's teaching the true nature of fellowship with God. The scribes and the Pharisees teach falsely. And he's adjusting that. So if you look in verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And then down in verse 27, which we'll look at in the coming weeks, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Down in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Down in verse 33, again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you sh shall not swear falsely. Down in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And finally in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's teaching principles. And then he's illustrating them with these six statements. He's more concerned about principles. He's not giving us a new set of rules. He's not telling us every single practice. He's given principles. When he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. He's referring to the scribes and the Pharisees. They were all about tradition. They valued the tradition of the elders. They were experts in this. That was how they interpreted the law and they had a very high view of their interpretation. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, that's what made a scribe a scribe. He was an authority on the pronouncements which had been made by the fathers of the Jewish religion. Jesus doesn't say you've heard that it was said in the law of Moses. He said you've heard it was said of old. The Jewish people of Jesus' day no longer spoke Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. They couldn't read the law of Moses 
which was written in Hebrew for themselves. So they had to depend on the knowledge of the law of God, on the Word of God. They had to depend on these teachers. They had to depend about what they taught. This is what they were hearing preached in the synagogues, was these interpretations, traditions for centuries. And the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones teaching them. And Jesus is coming in and He's saying, you've heard this talk about the, the law of Moses, but I say to you, which implies, by the way, that He's the one that gave the law of Moses. In 2017, Sherry and I went to Germany for the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation in Germany. We went to a lot of historic sites, including Wartburg Castle, where in 11 weeks, Martin Luther translated the New Testament, not from Latin, but from Greek, the original Greek, into the German language. There was no Bible in their language. It was only in Latin, and they were dependent on the religious authorities to teach them what the Word of God said. Because only they knew Latin. We, we went to the room where Luther was translating the Bible. He was said to have taken his... his ink bottle and thrown it at one point at the devil who was in the room harassing him and he threw it at the devil and there was a, supposed to be a, a blot on the wall from where he threw the ink bottle. I'm not so sure about that story. But there was a Bible they had in the German language with Luther's handwritten notes in the margins. It was thrilling. The, the version, when it came out, was a bestseller. All they ever had was the Bible in Latin. Now they could read it in their own language. No longer dependent on the religious leaders to hear what the Word of God said. Now, Side note, it's such a gift that you have a Bible. It's such a gift that we have study Bibles. That we have the Bible on our phone. That we can read it. It's a gift. But that helps us see how these Pharisees, they're teaching, the scribes, they're teaching how it influenced people and how... They were the ones abolishing the law. Not Jesus. He didn't come to abolish the law. They were abolishing the law. What, what these people sitting on the, on the mountain with Jesus listening to His teaching, what they thought was the law of Moses was not the law itself. It was an interpretation. It was a false teaching. It was, it was these traditions. Jesus is teaching what the, the law really... He's teaching the spirit of the law. And the letter, but the spirit of the law. He's actually going deeper. 
And so he gives these six examples to expose their false teaching. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. It's extraordinary that he says, but I say to you, he's in authority. He is God the Son come in the flesh. I say to you. The Sermon on the Mount is not a new moral law, rules and regulations. Remember, the password is the kingdom of heaven. He's founded a new kingdom, a new race of people. We read it in the call to worship. He's the firstborn among many. And and this new kingdom has a a new culture, a counterculture. And in these six illustrations, this is what the culture looks like. This is the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. The spirit of the law. These are principles that people in the kingdom live by. So often people want practice. Tell me what to do. It's easier. That's not how it works in the kingdom of heaven. It's not the way the gospel works. The gospel comes in and transforms us and Jesus gives us principles that we apply day in and day out. We are filled with the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We have the Word of God. We seek the Lord. And we learn these principles. It does lead to practice and to behaviors. It's much easier though if somebody just tells you every detail, isn't it? It's, but that's not how this counterculture works. Lloyd-Jones again, he says, any man in the ministry has to spend a good deal of his time answering the questions of people who come and want him to make particular pronouncements upon particular questions. There are certain problems which face us all in life. And there are people who always seem to want some kind of detailed statement. So when they are confronted by any particular problem, all they have to do is turn up their textbook and there they find the answer. Now, some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in the ministry is not recognizing this. And I am committed now and I understand I'm not just going to lay out practices for people. I have practices. I'm reluctant to share them. I have to really trust you to share a practice. People are anxious for this in the spiritual realm. And Jesus gives the answer in the Sermon on the Mount. The Gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't treat us like this. It doesn't treat us like children. It's not another law. We receive, when we enter the kingdom, we receive new spiritual life. We receive a new understanding, a new worldview. We don't have a set of regulations. We have, we are taught principles and we apply them in our lives and we, we grow as a result into the fullness of Christ. It's how we grow in holiness and godliness and Christ-likeness. And the ultimate objective of the Sermon on the Mount is that we might know God. 
the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they put the Ten Commandments, they put the law on the wall, and they, and they viewed them as negatives. These are things you don't do. And then they said, I'm righteous because I'm not guilty of not doing those. But those in the kingdom have a righteousness that exceeds that. We should examine ourselves. Here's the test for us, though. What, what is my relationship to God? Do I know Him? Am I pleasing Him? We, we don't examine ourselves with, with shallow legalism and false teachings. Legalistic truth. We don't just ask, have I committed murder? Have I committed adultery? We say, has Jesus been my treasure today? John Piper says, receiving Christ in a saving way means preferring Christ over all other persons and things. It means desiring Him. Not only what He can do. His deeds on our behalf are meant to make it possible to know and enjoy Him forever. We don't receive Him savingly when we receive Him as a ticket out of hell or into heaven. He's not a ticket. He's a treasure. The greatest treasure. He is what makes heaven, heaven. We want a pain-free heaven without Him there. We do not receive Him. We use Him. Justifying faith means receiving, welcoming, embracing Jesus for all that God is for us in Him. My prayer is that everyone in here would know Christ as their treasure. Point two, causeless anger brings the same judgment as murder. Causeless anger brings the same judgment as murder. Again, verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Don, Don Carson says, one has not conformed to the better righteousness of the kingdom simply by refraining from homicide. One has not conformed to the better righteousness of the kingdom simply by refraining from homicide. There's something deeper here. That's the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. The law forbids murder, but it was, it was characteristic of the theologians of Jesus' day, these scribes and Pharisees, to say, well, exactly what does that mean? When is murder really murder? And so we can imagine what the result would be, that the, what murder really was was kind of narrowed down. What, what's the spirit of the law? According to the one who gave the law, 
If you're angry in your heart with a brother or sister in the kingdom of heaven without a cause, you are facing the same punishment as the person who commits actual murder. That's the spirit of the law. And Jesus came to fulfill it. And we must not think because we're Christians, the law has been abolished. Causeless anger is murder from God's perspective. That's what the Lord Jesus is teaching His disciples. Citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Anger offends God. The Pharisees were actually robbing the law of its full force. They're the ones abolishing the law. The legalists. Again, verse 22. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother. Oh, how we need to hear this. Will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, liable to the hell of fire. To kill with a knife or to ruin someone's reputation because you're angry. To belittle them. Call them a fool. It's the same heart issue. The root issue. The motivation. Isn't it? It's not that it doesn't make a difference whether you stab someone or call them a name. The point is that the law goes beyond actions. It goes deeper than that. It's not just that you threw the rock in the pond. It's that you want to murder your grandfather. <laughs> Everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's God's judgment because a human court can't see what's going on on the inside. So he's talking about God's judgment. Anger, in, in, the, in the kingdom of heaven, we call each other brother, we call each other sister, because God's our Father. Anger is not permitted. To insult someone exposes you not only to the council, the Sanhedrin, man's highest court, but it also exposes you to the hell of fire, Gehenna. If you look in your ESV, there's a footnote that says Gehenna. That was a valley in Jerusalem. It, it had been famous as a place where Moloch was worshipped. Detestable rituals were held in this valley. And then King Josiah came and and he defiled the valley so it couldn't be used for that. And then they started just dumping filth in the body of criminals there. At the time of Christ, it was just like a rubbish pit that, that was full of ashes and just constantly smoked. It, the word hell comes from this. It's, it's like an ash pile. In Job where it says, you know, in chapter 2, after all the things that happened to him, he sat in the ashes. This is what Jesus is referring to. This is hell. It's a place of suffering where you're by yourself. 
Like Job, Christ was a righteous man who suffered. And on the cross, He cried out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? The Apostles' Creed says, We believe Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, descended into hell. And the third day, He rose again from the dead. One commentator on the book of Job says, Suffering encloses a man in solitude. Between Job and his friends, an abyss was cleft. They regarded him with astonishment as a strange being. But they could no longer get to him. Only Jesus could cross this abyss. Descend into the abyss of misery and plunge into the deepest hell. No longer do you suffer alone. Jesus delivers from hell. There is a hell and there is a judgment. And anger offends a holy God. You need to be saved from hell. Jesus mentions hell in the rest of the sermon, sermon another, a, number, a number of times. And you need to be saved from hell. The good news is we have a Savior. And He, in one sense, descended into hell so that you and me don't have to. Finally, number, number three, third point, our words reveal our hearts. Whoever, verse 22, insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool be liable to the hell of fire. Insults matter. Verse 26 says you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny and you can't pay the debt. You'll never get out unless Jesus saves you. If, if people actually believe these words in the Sermon on the Mount, it would change our social media world, would it not? Would it not be transformed if people believe this? If maybe they knew about it? Every day someone is assassinated on the internet. People ruin people's reputation. Every day, even brothers and sisters, maybe especially brothers and sisters, I want you to know it is reprehensible to God. It is an abomination. <laughs> and often the motivation for doing it is we love the praise of men. We want fame. We want money. We want power. They're like the Pharisees and the scribes. They, they're jealous. They hate. Tony's going to be preaching next week from 1 Corinthians 13 on love. These words on social media reveal people love something more than Christ. Don't be deceived. If you like their words, be careful. You're in danger. Spirit of the Lord says we need to not speak words that are motivated by anger, selfish ambition, jealousy. 
Because our words reveal our spiritual condition. Matthew 12, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's why it's so serious what we say. For those in the kingdom of heaven, words matter. Our words are different. You enter the kingdom of heaven, you've been changed. And so Jesus is telling us this is how serious it is because it, it reveals our spiritual condition, the words we say. And so those citizens of the kingdom of heaven, they speak differently. Their words are different. You can tell. It's what Paul is after in Ephesians 4. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Wow, that sounds hard. But not when you've been transformed by the gospel and you've entered the kingdom of heaven. That's what you sound like. This is the spirit of the law. This is what the law means when it says, you shall not murder. Jesus is using language we understand. He says, anger brings judgment. We understand that. Using disrespectful language. You fool! It positions us for hell. Our words are serious. We can destroy someone without using a knife. We destroy their person. Murder, the spirit of the law, murder doesn't mean just destroying life physically. It means trying to destroy a person. Their soul. Them. The, the law says you shall not destroy a person. A few years ago, the late Jerry Bridges was a good friend of ours, came regularly to church. He's written a number of books we highly recommend still. And he was working on a book that now is published called Respectable Sins Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. At the time, he didn't have that, that title. And we were, we were meeting with small group leaders. And Jerry was in town, in fact, right over here in this room. And we were all meeting there. I think we had lunch and... We were talking about his new book and we were all excited about it. And he was calling it at the time, Acceptable Sins. And so we had this famous moment in the history of Cornerstone Church which, when one of our leaders said to Jerry, Mr. Bridges, what are the acceptable sins? And you had to know Jerry Bridges. He's a very humble man. Not loud, very soft-spoken. But when that question was asked, his response was, there are none! <laughs> and I think that's why he changed the name of the book from acceptable sins to respectable sins. <laughs> there are none! There are no acceptable <laughs> sins. The Sermon on the Mount 
speaks to us today, doesn't it? Jesus goes deeper. Ed Welch in his book on anger says, anger indicts others. It says, you are wrong. Anger is about making judgments. That's why God hates it. Look closely and you can see a judge presiding over a courtroom, pronouncing the verdict. Sometimes that judgment is accurate. Usually there's at least some truth in it. But there's a deeper problem. Anger goes a step further. It says, you wronged me. Anger acquits itself. Instead of tracking its biases and seeking help, anger says, I am right. And is quite confident of it. It's a dangerous thing. If your first thought is, well, what about righteous anger? I had a whole section in my notes on this, and I thought, I'm not even going to talk about it. None of you have ever been guilty of righteous anger. <laughs> Me either. We're not righteously angry. That's not our problem. Right relationships is what Jesus is talking about in these verses. It really matters. That's what He's after. If our righteousness is to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, then our relationships, our love for one another is, is essential. He, he gives two illustrations. If you're offering the gift on the altar, you're in the temple, you're worshiping God, don't do it. That's what we tend to do you know, our, our conscience bothers, so we'll do something good to make up for it. He's, don't do that. No, no, no. That doesn't work. Don't. How can you bring a gift to God when you're, you've offended your brother or your sister or you're angry at them? The psalmist said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Second illustration, he, he talks about verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you're put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. What I want you to see here is the urgency. Do it quickly. Do it now. So often, if we would just deal with these issues early, it would solve so many relational problems. And Jesus is it's urgent because it's essential in the, for, in the kingdom of heaven. It's essential, your relationships. Do it quickly. As soon as you realize you've done something that's provoked your brother, it's not about you're angry, he's angry. As soon as you know it, deal with it quickly. Don't let it fester. And the Lord's terms are easy, aren't they? All He asks is that you stop defending yourself. All He asks is that you confess to Him and your brother or sister your sin. That's all He asks. 
that you be poor in spirit, that you humble yourself, even if the other person has sinned against you, easy terms. And the Lord says, I'll forgive you. Even though you are a guilty sinner before me, I will forgive you. Even though you owe a debt you could never repay, in spite of all your unworthiness, I forgive you completely. What great terms. All we have to do is be poor in spirit, mourn over our sin. That's what citizens in the kingdom of heaven do. That's what they're like. We're going to have a time now of ministry every second Sunday of the month. We set aside special time after the meeting to have some pastors and members of our church who are equipped to pray for you. We set aside this time and invite you to come to the front. I'm going to ask the band, come on up, to come to the front. And we'll, we'll invite you to come to the front. And there's a number of things that you may want to ask the Lord for this morning. They could be any number of things. There's a lot of needs in the church. And we want to pray for any and all of them, but I especially want to pray for you if you are not a Christian. And maybe for the first time, you thought about the reality of hell. My prayer is that the Lord would give you the gift of faith. And I'd love for us to be able to pray for that when you come. I'd also like to pray for you, obviously, if you realize you've been angry. Now the terms are great. All you have to do is come and confess your sin. And the Lord will forgive you and receive you. You may want to pray for reconciliation. So come as we begin to sing. And the rest of you can just sing along. We're going to um, just invite everybody up. Please stand. I'm going to pray. And then we'll begin to sing. And you're, in, you're invited to the front. There'll be some ushers here to help you. Father... We thank You for Your Word, Lord. We thank You for the presence of the Spirit. And we pray for the conviction of the Spirit where we've sinned. But Lord, I pray that we'd be filled with joy this morning because of the good news, the easy terms. Because He is the one that crossed the abyss for us so that, Lord, we never have to experience suffering alone. So I pray now, Lord, that you would meet each and every one as we come to you poor in spirit for your help. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865 865- 694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.